meeting. Hey everyone, this is Robin Kennedy and it is Thursday, May 23rd, 2019. I almost said 19 something, living in the past. Uh, and tonight's topic is control. And not the type of control where you have control issues like you always have to drive or, or you always have to control the remote control. Uh, in your home. This is about controls that prevent bad things from happening. And bad things can be from malicious actors to um, a material misstatement on a financial statement line item. So let's take a look at what controls are. And for those of you who do not work in an IT shop and are hoping to work in an IT shop, controls hopefully need to be near and dear to your heart. So I'm going to go through this probably rather quickly and then stop me if you have any questions. So every session that I do, I like to remind everybody of our business objectives. So our five objectives are to grow and innovate, obtain operational efficiency, protect our brand, serve our customers, whether there are internal customers, each other or external customers, and then leverage our resources for advanced learning. So for example, the vulnerability that Jonathan just talked about. Okay, what can we learn from this and how can we apply it internally? Um, things like that. So how does contri controls, how do controls help us achieve our business objectives? I have a theory, I've been in risk and control for decades now. I have a theory that effective risk management can actually make money, not cost avoidance, but can actually be a profit, profit center. So I'm working on that theory, but I haven't solidified it yet. People think that risk management and control is cost avoidance. Um, but I think effective control and effective risk management can actually be a profit center for a company. I'm not going to prove that tonight. I'm just going to talk about control. So what is control? So it's not about the remote control. It's not about driving the car. It's a procedure, policy, or task that provides reasonable assurance. Remember that phrase. Commit it to memory. It's not that there will be a test, but working in an IT shop, if you are ever audited, you ever have to deal with a regulator, you have to ever have to deal with internal audit coming through and auditing what you do every day, the term you're going to hear is reasonable assurance. So there isn't a yes or no when it comes to control. It come, the, the phrase we all use in internal audit, and I've been an internal auditor, I've been an external auditor, it's I need reasonable assurance that you are operating as designed. So the process, policy, or task, or whatever you put in front of me, I need to be reasonably assured that the organization is operating the way you designed it. And IT controls, so if you break that down a little further, our controls in technology, not necessarily in the IT shop. They could be out in the business as well around technology. So it's not just to the department that are a subset of the overall internal control environment of a company. So if you look at the control environment of an entire company, there's gonna be financial controls and, and um, accounting controls and different process controls and business controls. And there's, then in IT, you're gonna have IT controls. So in IT, what we have are really two sets of controls. There are IT general controls and there are application controls. 
IT general controls are the types of controls that we deal with every day, probably near and dear to most people in this room. Perimeter controls, access controls, um, controls that, that actually secure the environment, that protect and detect different things happening in the environment. So IT general controls are pretty much the same across every department, but or I mean every company, but they're going to be designed in different ways per the company. Application controls are the controls within a specific application. So for example, segregation of duties control in an accounting system. So if you have someone that has the access to create an invoice in the accounting system and get payment for that invoice so they can create the invoice, you don't want the same person to also be able to approve that invoice. That's like chicken in the hen house, right? I mean, fox in a head house. So you don't want someone that can create the invoice also be the approver because then they could create invoices and approve invoices all day long and create bogus invoices and, and, and steal money from the company. So this has actually been done and I can talk about it. I'll use a, a really good example of a weak um, application control. So back in the day when I worked at Capital One, when Capital One was just a credit card company, this is back when, before it gobbled up all the smaller credit card companies, I was in internal audit and we were doing an audit of the card system. So the card system was a homegrown system and it's not that way anymore, so I can talk about it. But it was a homegrown system and what I asked um, some people on my audit team to do was actually, you know, run a report of all the accounts in the system that have um, zero minimum payment. Now, why would someone have zero minimum payment? Well, on a credit card account, you'll have zero minimum payment if you don't owe anything, right? Um, so I got a stack probably three inches thick of the number of accounts that have zero minimum payment. So I had them dump that into a spreadsheet so we could look at it. What we found was probably over a thousand accounts that had zero minimum payment um, and the flag was turned off to generate a statement and no limit on the card and activity. So if you look at those controls, to, I mean, those fields together, what we uncovered was multiple, a ring um, actually all across the different offices of people cooperating with each other to create an account, create a credit card account, turn off statements, like don't generate a statement. Then the next person in, in the line would actually um, zero out the payment and then the next person in line would go ahead and take cash advance. We are talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars got leaked out. So what are the application controls that were broken there? Well, we didn't have segregation of duties across all of them. The application didn't prevent us from zeroing out the payment. The application didn't um, let us stop people from um, checking no statement, right? Don't print a statement. So there were no flags in the system. 
And so we don't know how long money was escaping that way, but we were able to just by printing that one report in internal audit and then comparing, okay, a single account has a you know $20,000 balance, but it has a zero minimum payment. Why would that be? And so just asking those questions, we found serious control breakdowns in that system because one person could do all of those things and then steal money from the company. So that's an example of a lack of application controls. So any questions up until this point? Zero for no, one for yes. Zero, 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 zero. Okay, perfect. Oh, there goes my dog. All right, so what is the control when it comes to a car, right? So here's an F-150. And how do you get into the car? Well, the first thing you do, right, is you use your keyless entry. So I got my little fob in my hand and I hit unlock. Uh, one second. Sorry about that. The hounds just had dinner and decided to get the zoomies. So keyless entry, you take the fob and you'd hit the unlock. Control number two would be to use the key. So say the battery dies in your key fob. Well, you've got the keyhole there. So you take your key and unlock the door. Perfect. But in these newer F-150s, if you unlock the door with a key, there's another control inside the truck I have one actually. There's another control inside the truck that it starts like dinging inside the truck. And if you don't put the key in and turn the engine on like right away, the alarm will go off. So that's a fourth control that I didn't put on here. But so I love that part. And then the third control on the door is the keypad. And I've lost my key fob now, so I can't find it. So I'm using the keypad every day. So if I keypad into the truck and open the door, that alarm doesn't go off and, and make me put the key in right away. So I have a spare key. So these are the three keys. I mean, the three controls for to open a car door. So each one of these is a procedure. So the key fob, keyless entry, you actually take the key fob, you put your, your finger on the button and you press the button and then it, it RFIDs or whatever to the truck and the truck unlocks. Keyed entry, the procedure is take the key, open the key, put it in the lock, turn the thing, it unlocks. So there's a process there. Keypad code, the procedure is punch in your buttons, listen to it unlock, open the door. So I have the car actually has, the truck has reasonable assurance, right? Because I have the right key, I've used it in the right way, so it lets me in the truck, okay? That's an easy explanation of controls and how controls work. Now we need to talk about, ew, expensive. <laughs> now we need to talk about key controls versus non-key controls. And I don't mean the kind of key we just stuck in the truck door. I mean key as in the most important. So usually you'll hear the term key control when it comes to um, financial statements. 
And if you've heard of Sarbanes-Oxley or um, Dodd-Frank, um, these types of, of laws and regulations that require us to have specific controls in place, you'll actually hear the term key control often. So a key control is required to provide reasonable assurance, there's that phrase again, that material errors will be prevented or timely detected. So that first bullet is the mainstay of a key control. So by having a certain control in place, you have reasonable assurance that a material error will be prevented. So material on a financial statement line item is determined by each company. So the external auditor actually helps the company determine what a material error would be. And I, when I first started doing auditing years and years ago, and I learned about materiality, I discovered that, wow, if a company says that their materiality threshold is $35 million, it means that you ask a question per every control, would the breakdown of this control result in a $35 million error? Now, how many of us can, can, can operate that way with our checking accounts, right? So let's say take a few zeros off, right? So I have a key control in, let's say I have a checkbook, right? Or whatever. I have a checkbook and I want to prevent a material error. Can I deal with $35? Can I deal with $350? Am I willing to accept the risk up to $35 million if that key control has broken down? So that's why when you're talking about IT controls or IT general controls from the previous slide that are related to a material misstatement, that means that, that if that control broke, the risk exists that the company could misstate its financials by 35 million bucks. Smaller company, it might be $15 million. Larger company might be $80 million threshold. So can you imagine having that kind of threshold tolerance for error, $80 million tolerance for error? I mean, if I was that CIO, I would not sleep at night. I would not know, I would not be able to, you know, trust how much money's in the bank, right? If I have a $80 million material errors. But these large companies are like that. Their material materiality thresholds are in the tens of millions of dollars. So they're willing to accept that big an error if a key control breaks down. That just blows my mind. Key control is the only control that covers the risk of a material misstatement. I just talked about that. If that control fails, it's highly improbable that another control could detect what would happen. Key control is a control that covers more than one risk or supports a whole process execution. It's usually part of entity level controls. They're higher level controls. They're not, they're not granular level controls like, like granting someone access. Key control is going to be at the top, that person have an ID. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. And then it needs to be tested to provide assurance over financial assertions. So I just talked about SOX compliance. A non-key control usually supports a key control. Okay, so key controls are the, the secret sauce or, or the crown jewels. So key controls, if one breaks down, that means we're going to have a material misstatement. A non-key control are usually sub-process secondary controls. 
their activity or operative in nature. It can fail without affecting the entire process. It's in place to monitor certain information. It can have an indirect effect on the risk of a material misstatement, but not a direct effect on a material misstatement that I just talked about. It's important, shouldn't be minimized. They're important. They might be littler, but they're still as important. And it should not involve, non-key controls should not be involved in significant transactions. Uh, for example, um, international transfers and things like that. So you have to, you know, treat non-key controls with the right perspective, but they still matter. So I'm not sure if everyone here has seen this. I know Marjorie has and Jim has. This is the PGIP Tech onboarding policy process. So this is what happens when we get um, notice that an intern is coming in to PGIP Tech. So in the top left, you'll see that um, Doc gets an email. So CIO receives notice. And then you can follow the process through. And I'll just do my little laser pointer here. Doc gets the email, she sends an email to the intern, the intern goes to the website and takes the survey and then goes off in their own. And then Doc views the survey, she schedules an interview, and then after she sees the survey of what the person is interested in, then she sends an email to all of these leaders and then another process starts. So IT support creates a ticket and they do some stuff. They send the ticket to the COO and they do some stuff. COO verifies the ESET certification and they do some stuff. Hi, Doc. And then it gets transferred to cybersecurity and they do some stuff. And then they set some stuff up with the intern and the department manager does some things too. So this is the process for onboarding an intern, a new intern, a single intern. So let's take a look at where the controls are in this process. So just go ahead and study it and based on everything you learned in the past 10 minutes, where are the controls? So let's look, there's a control here. So doc receives notice, that email comes to doc. If doc doesn't receive the email, so if it doesn't come from the university or if doc doesn't check her email, then the entire process breaks down. Right, so we don't know that Jonathan's coming in to the internship. The next control is the survey. So the intern has to take the survey in order for Doc to know where the intern would like to, what department they, or what they're interested in. The next control is IT support creating the fresh desk ticket. The next control is the intern receiving the email from IT support and they have to do some things. So that's a control. The next control is the fresh desk ticket moving to the COO to get all these things done. The next control is the verification of the ESET certification before the ticket can move forward to cybersecurity, which is the next control. And then finally, the department manager checks up on the intern throughout this entire process to make sure everything's going smoothly. So of these controls, so this process had a lot, has a lot of controls and I just listed one, eight of them. So where are the key controls in this process? Anyone, anyone? 
So we just learned about key controls. Where do you think the key controls are? Was no one listening the past three slides, five slides? <laughs> Isn't it the department managers themselves? <laughs> yes, there is a key control there. Thank you for your participation. But let's look at the first one. The first key control is when doc receives the notice, period. If doc doesn't get a notice, or if doc doesn't check her email, then the entire process back, uh, breaks down. So remember back on the other slides where we looked at key controls and we said, okay, that it is the key control, the entire process breaks down if it is not executed, okay? If it fails, other controls won't detect it. So the first one is doc. The next key control, Marjorie. Marjorie is the skeleton key. Oh, that's funny. The next key control, so while important, see how the survey piece, doc can still do her job if the intern doesn't do the survey. She'll have less information, but doing the survey while a control is not a key control. The key control is when Doc says, hey, all you department leaders need to do something now. Here comes a new intern. So that definitely, this email is a key control. The next key control is when IT support creates the fresh desk ticket. So if you look at the process after the fresh desk ticket, it would not happen if IT support doesn't create that ticket, okay? The next key control is verifying the ESERT, the ESET certification. If the intern has not done this, then the fresh desk ticket does not get sent to cybersecurity. It's a requirement. So that is, a, is the key control. So out of the eight controls, the higher level controls I identified here, there are four that are key. So if I were an auditor and I was going to audit this process for effectiveness, then what I would do is say, okay, these are the four key controls. Doc, let me see all the emails that you've received from the university. And let me see how many you've sent out. So what I would do is I would, can everybody see my mouse? Let me go ahead and put the laser pointer on. So as an auditor, I would ask, Doc, let me see for the past six months, this, the notices you've received from, from the university. So she would give me those. Then I would say, okay, let me see all of the emails that were sent to the departments. And I would match them up one-to-one. -one. Then I would say, okay, all these emails here that were sent to the department asking these department leaders to do something, let me see the list of fresh desk tickets. So then I would match this with this and the fresh desk ticket. Then separately, I would say cybersecurity, 
show me everyone in AWS. And so they'd give me a list of everyone with AWS. Then I would go to the COO and say, show me all the ESET certificates. And I would compare everybody who has access to AWS with the ESET certifications. And if I found any users in AWS that did not have an ESET certification, that would be an audit finding. I've been doing this for a really long time. I think this is really cool. So this is a really cool job. So why does it matter? Because we, as IT professionals and in cybersecurity and in the other departments, yes, I'm very enthusiastic, Marjorie, about, about what I do. Our job is really, you know, we are the first line of defense. So we are wearing the Spartan helmet with the spear. We have to ensure the reliability, confidentiality, integrity, and availability of every system that our business uses. And to do that, we have to have controls in place and they have to be functioning effectively. Together, this entire environment of processes, policies, procedures, and um, tasks are called the control environment. IT general controls are usually broken down into these categories. Change management. So changes have to be proposed, reviewed, and approved. And changes that come through the system, the change management um, board, usually there's a board of people that review the change controls. They had better been tested and um, proof of testing needs to be presented in order for a change to get approved. So there I listed about five controls in change management. Source code and version control. These days, there are systems and applications that will do version control for your source code. Um, back in the day, we had to do it manually. But there are controls around who can actually upload source code, who can edit source code, who can edit what sections of the source code, who can pull it down, but also who can promote it to production. So just like the example I gave earlier about um, the credit card environment and the segregation of duties, the same person who creates the, soft, the um, source code and um, tests it in, in um, non-production environments should not be the same person that promotes it into production. They should be separate people. Software development lifecycle, you'll see that one a lot, SDLC. So there are a lot of controls within that uh, particular process. Logical access controls, everyone knows what those are. Incident management controls, problem management controls. Does everyone know what problem management is? No. Send to the next guy up. Oh, that's funny. So problem management is when there are, there are, yeah, pass the buck. No, problem management is a process where there are several different incidents that have happened or something has broken down and you see a trend. So Jonathan's on a help desk. He probably gets, you know, lots of calls about something is happening and it continues to happen over time, right? 
Well, that collection of incidents or or calls that come into the help desk gets classified as a problem, quote unquote problem. When you have a problem, it's deemed as an enterprise level or even department level set of issues where there's got to be a root cause. Call it master tickets. Okay, perfect. So problem management in in uh, Jonathan's world is called master tickets. So there's usually a set of second or third level support people that review the problems and try to get to the root cause and come up with a solution and implement that solution to prevent tons of more individual incidents or or things happening as a result of that overall problem. Um, here's a good example. So in an accounting system, um, let's say the accounting system is web-based. So you're using it in a browser. So picture a large environment with lots of people, um, no cube walls, and they're working on the accounting system. So when you log into the accounting system, something very simple as masking the password or masking any kind of input data. So masking the uh, social security number as you type it in. So instead of seeing the numbers, you see an asterisk, right? That's called masking the data. So this accounting system, this certain field doesn't have the ability to mask the data. So it just stays there open. That could turn into a problem because it affects the entire enterprise and the use of the enterprise system. So the lack of masking the data on certain fields would rise to the level of a problem, get kicked over to second, third level support, then they would work on the problem to resolve that, which is usually gonna be um, editing the, the system's configuration or the source code. Right, so then they'd have to follow source code controls and they'd have to follow SDLC controls. So this is how the, all this works together. That's a good example of how it all works together. Um, technical support, there are controls in there. So I'm sure Jonathan doesn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, what's up, it's Jonathan, can I help you today? He probably goes through a process to verify who that person is on the phone before he starts to help them or resets a password or gives them credentials or opens up a pipe. I showed some videos in a previous class about this very thing. It's easy to social engineer a tech support person or a help desk person by just name dropping and pretending that you are someone else in the company or a high person in the company that that individual would know um, getting them to trust you and then saying, hey, can you, you know, can you let me into ABCDXG? And yeah, I'll do that for you. No problem. Well, thanks, dude. You really helped me out. That's how social engineering happens to tech support people, right? There, see, you get fired for skipping verification. Exactly. So Jonathan having to verify who that caller is, is a control in tech support. Hardware, software, configuration controls, Disaster recovery and backup and recovery controls are extremely important. And physical security controls, so badge on the door, right? Application controls, 
So these are the types of, of controls that should be within every application. And an auditor is going to come in and they're going to check both columns. They're going to check IT controls for the environment in which the application lives. Then on the right-hand side, if they're auditing an application, they're going to check these things, these seven things within an application. Completeness, validity, right? So do you does one field um, do a validity check for the data that's in? So good example of that is, is when you're putting your address in an order online and it says, okay, what state do you live in? And it gives you a list instead of you just typing OVA, right, or being able to type anything. It's going to give you a list of, of states and put that in for you when you pick it. So what it's doing is it's restricting um, what's valid in that field. Identification controls, authentic authentication controls, authorization controls. We talked about this a little bit earlier when I told the story about um, all the the credit cards for zero minimum payment and zero statement, that was authorization. So there were no authorization controls in that system. So any person sitting there who had access to the system could zero out the minimum payment and then could put a no limit on the card and then could turn off the print statements. So those three things were authorization. So that was a lack of authorization controls in that system. Input controls and output controls, and then forensic controls. So are there any logs on the back end that we can look at to see what happened? So using my credit card example again, no, there weren't any. So there were no controls in place until I asked that auditor to go ahead and pull a flat file report for all accounts with zero minimum payment because there were no forensic controls. So these two types of IT controls, general controls and application controls, work together in an environment to ensure reliability, confidentiality, integrity, and availability of systems. Any questions? Okay, awesome. So two types of controls, preventive controls and detective controls. Preventive controls are just like the name sounds, right? They attempt to deter or prevent undesirable events. They're proactive and they help prevent loss. They're like segregation of duties, which I talked about earlier, proper authorization. So having the right login credentials, documentation, IT folks hate to document things, but adequate documentation is a preventive control. And then physical control over your assets. There are so many more types of preventive controls. Detective controls are controls on the other end, right, that detect something has happened. So the issue here is if you don't have a preventive control and the detective control isn't in place, zero minimum payment, then you can't possibly know what's going on in a system or the environment. So you can have a preventive control, but if you have a weak detective control, you'll never know. But if you have no preventive control and a good detective control, something could still happen because the problem with detective controls is they happen after the fact. So they don't prevent anything from happening. They don't tell you right away. 
that something has happened, right? They attempt to detect undesirable acts. They provide evidence that the loss has occurred, but they don't prevent the loss from occurring. Remember our $35 million example from earlier tonight? So if the materiality threshold is, is $35 million, you have a key control that could end up being 40, 50, 60 million dollars, and you don't have a detective control to prevent that loss from occurring, then you will have a material misstatement on a financial statement line item. That's why having IT control, IT general controls, IT application controls, both preventive and detective, are what systems need to function reliably. Examples of detective controls are reviews, so access reviews that Jim has put in, analyzing activity, variance analysis, what was it before and what is it today, reconciliations, you'll hear that a lot in accounting, so doing recons. So I'm, re I'm reconciling and what I, what I, when I went over the um, process previously and I said, okay, you know, show me all the ESET certs and I'll compare them with everyone that has access to AWS. I'm doing a recon, I'm doing a reconciliation. I'm reconciling the certifications with people who have access. Physical inventories and of course audits. That's what we do. We love our job. So this cool little circle I drew because I wanted to explain the concept of a hierarchy of control. So at the end of the day, I've, well, many times I've had lots of conversations with Ernst & Young or with KPMG or with Deloitte, with external auditors or with the PCAOB or, or sitting down with them and them trying to tell me that uh, um, a lack, someone didn't get their access removed timely in an application and that could lead to a material misstatement. So because Jim left the company, but I didn't get the notice to remove his access until 10 days later, that could lead to a $40 million material misstatement. Really, this is where the reasonableness comes in from, from earlier. The primary dealing with risk analysis. No, this is actually about building control in your environment. And when you get into IT shops, if you don't already work in one, right, is that there are controls in everything you do. So you can't just willy-nilly design a system and throw it into production and say, hey, cool, awesome, look what I did. You'll get fired, right? Or you'll disrupt the entire um, equilibrium at the company because there are controls in place for a reason, reliability, integrity, availability. So controls have to be baked into the processes. So this isn't really about risk. This is about operating with control to at the end of the day, reduce the risk that something bad will happen. Okay. So when talking about perimeter, no problem. So when talking about perimeter controls, there's a hierarchy of control. So on the outside, the perimeter, so do we have firewalls in place? Do we have a DMZ? Do, are all the holes plugged in our, in our firewalls, our routers? So do we have, you know, protocols that are open or ports that are open that can let bad guys in? Have we hardened our perimeter? 
network controls. This is where we control, you know, Active Directory or LDAP. This is where you get your login to the system. Application controls are the individual controls we talked about. You have access to FreedCamp. You have access to uh, WorkDocs. You have access to AWS. Those are application level access. And then user controls. So user controls really is about security awareness or awareness training controls. It's not necessarily about their piece of hardware because everything is really hardware independent now. This is about users knowing not to share their password, not to give credentials away, not to click on that link, um, not to do silly things that would breach the perimeter. But if you were to get past the network perimeter out here, if, if a bad guy was to get through an open port, then they hit the network, is our network hardened? Could they get through that level of control, this line right here? If they can get through that, can they get through our applications? So if they get through that layer, then they're in the crown jewels. But when you're having a conversation down here at this level and out, if you have a control weakness at the application layer, right? But the network and perimeter layer is solid, then the, then the risk is reduced that something bad's going to happen at the application layer. The same goes down here. So if a user does something stupid um, or accidentally clicks on something, do I have the right controls here at the application level and the network level and the perimeter level to reduce the risk of the user not doing the right thing? So we have these opportunities in this layer or this hierarchy of control to ensure the reliability, integrity, and availability of our systems. Why does this all matter? Because you do execute controls on a daily basis, right? Just logging into this meeting, you executed a control. You may be part of designing controls, so you need to design um, a process to do something. So think back to the process I showed you earlier and where the key controls were. We designed that process and we designed controls into it. And I think that when we design that process, I don't think everybody who designed it knew at the time that they were actually designing controls into the process. When you are putting a process together or you're putting documentation together for how things work. Jim, I know I've been after you about documenting, you know, um, everything that you do, not just the fact that you do it, but how you do it. Because at the end of the day, if we won the lottery, could someone do that behind us? So documentation is a key control. So in that documentation, you need to make sure that the controls are in the documentation. And then eventually, you will be asked to test the effectiveness of the controls. Um, if you're not working with an audit department or, or you have to do something for your manager, you know, give me a list of, of who has access to AWS, great. You know, what you're doing is you're testing controls they may not be using that vernacular to explain that's what they're doing or the, what they want you to do. So what, if we look at the controls, 
Awesome. We're almost done, Jim. We're wrapping up. So taken together, right, our entire control environment supports the five um, business objectives. Grow and innovate, we do it with control. We achieve operational efficiency with control. Streamline processes, right? Gaining efficiency and eliminating waste. We protect our brand with controls. We have certain way we say things or certain way we send email or a certain way we interact with clients protect our brand. We serve our customers and leverage internal resources for learning with control. We don't just put in any new piece of software that we want to see in AWS because we could down the entire environment. We operate with control and all the business objectives have a better chance of being met. Any questions? Leave you with the final thought. Everything is designed, but few things are designed well. Brian would read, uh, writes comic books and makes video games, but that's true. Everything is designed, but few things are designed well. And if you, we go back to our process right here with our key controls in it, there's opportunity to improve the process, certainly, but having four key controls in a process this big with this many touch points, it's designed well. Any questions? I think that's it. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Jonathan. It was good talking to you.